Let's pray together. In the book of James, we're told this. Maybe these are familiar words, maybe not. Either way, they're good words. It says that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And Father, we trust that you are pleased with our praise tonight. Father, not because we're worthy, not because we're good, but because of Jesus, whom you sent and you promised. You tell us in your word he is righteousness and truth and, and, and goodness and perfection. And Father, it says that when he enters our lives, we become new creatures in him, that you no longer see us for who we are and who we were. You see us through the lens of your perfect son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we do come to give you praise tonight, and we, we're so grateful that we can do that. And at the same time, we're going to take the next few minutes, Lord, to look at your word. And, and Father, I just pray that as we do that, that our, the, the praise and the song and the gratitude of our hearts would continue. Father, we don't need to come here tonight to hear the words of a preacher. Probably not going to say anything new that we haven't heard before. Father, but at the same time, we believe that your word is, is living and it's active. It has the power to shape and change our hearts as your spirit interprets and applies it to each one of us in a personal way. So Lord, I'm just going to pray that as always for the next few minutes, you'd come by your spirit and have your way with us. You would guide us in truth because your word is truth. You would guard us from error, Father, because uh, we misunderstand so easily. That tonight of all nights you deliver our hearts from apathy and pride and bitterness and indifference and all the stuff that gets in the way, Father, and just replace it with gratitude so that for the next few minutes we might see Jesus. Lord, may we see him clearly as we study your word. May we see him only as we study your word and may we leave rejoicing having been reminded what a great God you are and what a wonderful Savior Jesus is. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know if you brought a Bible with you tonight, and if not, that's okay. But if you did, I want you to, to take it out and turn to Exodus chapter 12. We're just going to spend the next few minutes in God's Word, uh, just being reminded of, of what tonight and, and, and gratitude and thanksgiving really mean, particularly uh, we above all people as believers ought to be people of gratitude and thanksgiving. And so we want to look at God's Word uh, just hopefully in a fresh and, and, and an abbreviated sort of way, but to prepare our hearts to share some praises with one another. This is, of course, Thanksgiving Eve. And, and as I was thinking about it today, the last couple of days, you know, Thanksgiving, if you really wanted to boil it down, and, and you may have your own interpretation, and chances are if you do, it's better than mine. Um, but as I thought about Thanksgiving and what it means to us today in our era, our culture, even as believers, you could really boil it down to four F's. There are four words that begin with F that all sort of put together, probably for most of us, to some degree define, for better or worse, Thanksgiving. And just a, a moment of crowd participation, I want to see if you can figure out what the four F's of Thanksgiving are. Who's got an idea what one of them might be? I heard food and football, and I heard that repeatedly. <laughs> Two, there's the third one. We've got food, football, family. Fellowship's a good one. It's not on my list. Friends, that's a good one, not on my list. That's all good? There it is. It's faith. 
It's faith. All these others are good as well. Like I said, you've got your own definition. But if you think about what Thanksgiving means, to most of us, uh, today, tomorrow, the next couple of days, will be some sort of conglomeration of faith and of family and food and, yes, even football. And, and, and again, chances are that your Thanksgiving observance uh, uh, you know, will, will incorporate either, either the participation in or perhaps the avoidance of one or more of those things over the next couple of days But for these few minutes tonight, I want to just zero in on one of them. We can talk football and everything else after the service. But the one I want to talk about actually is not faith, it's food. I want to spend a few minutes looking at God's word, thinking about Thanksgiving, and talking about food, which is for most of us perhaps the the literal centerpiece of our Thanksgiving celebrations. And if you think about it, what other meal is there in the entire calendar year? What other meal is there that more preparation and thought and and coordination uh, goes into than the Thanksgiving meal? I don't even think Christmas quite approaches what many of us do or have waiting for us on Thanksgiving. And what I want you to know tonight is that far from feeling guilty about that, being obsessed with food over the next 24 or 48 hours, I believe that the focus we place on food at Thanksgiving is actually a thoroughly biblical thing in many ways. Because if you think for a moment, if you know your Bible, if you've read the Bible, if you think about it through the lens of food, you realize food is everywhere in the Scriptures. If you go back to the Old Testament, what you find is is that ancient Israel, for example, they had a series of annual festivals, things they gathered together in Jerusalem to do every year. And at the center of every festival, generally speaking, was some sort of meal of God's people meeting together. Even the festivals had the names, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Food was always at the center of worship at those festivals. You think about the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament offerings of Israel. Many, many, many of the sacrifices and offerings involved food in in one way or another. There were grain offerings and meal offerings and bulls and lambs and goats and oxes and birds. And and while many times those offerings were just burnt or offered to the Lord, on, on some occasions a portion of them was kept back for the consumption of the priests or even of the one who was making the offering. Think of how many of Jesus' miracles involved food. Many, many of them did in one way or another. He turned water into what? To to wine. Because many of the people he interacted with, even his closest disciples, were fishermen. Many of Jesus' miracles involved the, the multiplication of fish. His greatest miracle of all, the only one recorded in all four Gospels, was the feeding of the 5,000 with what? Five loaves and two fish, Jesus' greatest miracle of all. Even his ministry itself was bookended with meals. It began, if you remember the story, at a wedding reception, and his earthly ministry concluded or culminated at a last supper. And even when you think about where we as believers, the promise of where we're headed, the book of Revelation, the way God chooses to tell us about that final, ultimate day of reunion in heaven where where believers of every age and era are united with Jesus Christ and we enter into his presence forever and sin and death and brokenness is forgotten and it's just us and Jesus Christ in glory. What's that scene described as? Not as just a wedding ceremony with Christ the groom and the church the bride, but a wedding celebration or feast or banquet that God invites us and calls us to enter into. And I don't know about you, but when I put all that together, it seems to me like food is kind of a big deal with God. That there's an emphasis and, and, and a focus on it in the, in the scriptures. And, and so tonight, for just a few minutes before we share our praises, I want to look at 
at one of the Bible's most significant meals, the Passover meal that's recorded in Exodus chapter 12, and talk about one of the reasons why it's such a big deal in the Scriptures. Because the situation here in in Exodus chapter 12 is that after 400 years of Egyptian slavery, and after in, in, in the preceding weeks, nine devastating plagues that God had poured out on, on Israel's Egyptian captors, God was about to set his people free. Literally, we're looking at the story. We're here tonight on Thanksgiving Eve. The story we're looking at is Exodus Eve. It's the night before Israel leaves Egypt forever. And where we're picking up the story here is as God gives his final words of instruction to the people before it's time to pack up and go. And if you think about it, I don't know how the way, the, the, the way things may, may work at your house, uh, the way things happen or unfold amongst your family with your dynamics, but think about what the final night before a great big road trip is like with your family. I don't know if any of this sounds familiar, but at our house, here's always the plan. Night before family road trip, night before family vacation. The plan in my mind is always this. Let's get all the work done all day and have a nice dinner together. And then we'll put everyone to bed on time, and we'll pack the car, and we'll all get a good night's sleep, and at 4.30 or 5 in the morning, we'll all happily get in and drive away. It never works that way. Never. No, the night before family road trip, see if any of this sounds familiar to you. It's four trips to Hy-Vee for everything that's broken and lost and forgotten and overlooked. It's, it's jamming stuff in bags, and it's jamming bags in the car, and it's staying up way too late and trying to get the kids to go to sleep, and it's getting two hours of sleep ourselves, and then in frustration, finally, well, we might as well go. We're all awake anyway. <laughs> Am I the only one that this happens to? This is the way it works. And Israel was preparing for the ultimate road trip. Only in their case, they weren't just leaving for a trip. Uh, the, the word to describe what they were to do is they were about to escape. And, and think of all the, the tension and the nervous energy and extra chaos that may have, in, at least in their minds and their hearts, involved. And it was in the midst of all of that preparation and anticipation and expectation and, and the nerves and everything else that you know what God told his people to do the night right before they left? He said, sit down with your family and have a meal. Come together as a family for a meal. Listen to what God's word says. In Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12 I'm going to read the first 14 verses. It says, now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's to be the first month of the year to you. Speak now to the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one together, according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, and you divide the lamb. Your lamb should be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, this is the Passover. This is what God was really up to here, protecting his people. Said so they shall take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And they, the children of Israel, the families together, shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, 
but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs and its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning. But whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, and eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I, God says, will go through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, here's the key. This day will be a memorial to you. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And in the next several verses, we won't read them. What God goes on to say is, actually, I don't want you to celebrate Passover for a day. I want you to celebrate it for a week. Get together and, and, and worship and, and celebrate and, and share this Passover meal. and A week-long celebration. And he says to literally, the word God uses is to keep on doing so forever. As long as you're around, as long as you have breath in your lungs, every year, remember the Passover when you share this meal. And then God said this, just a couple more verses, down to verse 24. God says, you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. For when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this mean, this rite, this meal, this Passover gathering? You will say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshiped. And then what the rest of that chapter says is God did exactly what he promised. He, he sent that night his, his angel through the land of Israel. He punished the Egyptians, he rescued his people, and he sent them on their way to Canaan with all kinds of provision and blessings and treasure. But what I want to focus on is that part in verse 24 where God again said this, observe this event, you and your children forever. And your children are going to ask you and say, what's this all about? You will say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who protected us when he destroyed the Egyptians and we worshiped. In other words, here's what God, God was saying, and this is all I'm going to say. I'm just a couple more minutes, and then, and then that's it. What God was saying this is once a year, I'm going to, I want you to come back together for this meal, and I want you to, to, to use this meal for one specific purpose, to remember who I am and to remember what I have done. Remember the great God that I am and the wonderful things I have done for you. Use the meal to jog your memories. Eat it to remember and to give thanks. As I thought about that, I thought, that sounds rather familiar. Because that's what most of us, many of us, are going to do tomorrow, the next day, sometime uh, in the next, uh, over the course of, of this weekend. We're going to gather together, we're going to share a meal, and the purpose, though we may sometimes forget, is to remember what? What a great God we have, and the great things that he has done. 
And the cool thing about this story is if, if you sort of surf back through it one more time, you see references and, and all sorts of, uh, of notes about things that Israel was and, 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 and could be and, and should have been thankful for. Now, the biggest one, of course, is just the, the whole purpose of the story itself. What it is, the Exodus, is a salvation story. It's the story of God taking people who were enslaved and entrapped and, and, and couldn't get out, and, and God, the Savior, comes to their rescue. It's a salvation story. Give thanks for your salvation. And then as you, you work your way through the story, just going right back to the top, again, if you've got your Bible open, just look at it quickly with me. There are references beginning in verse 3, all sorts of references uh, to, to the people of Israel celebrating this meal as a family. One of the greatest blessings we have that we always remember is the fact that, that God gives us the gift of family. It says, take this as a, verse 3, a household. Take a lamb, a meal for each household. In verse 8, just on that same theme, there's a reminder that God gives us. He's the one who provides us with food. He said, I want you to eat together that night, the lamb roasted with fire, with unleavened bread and, and bitter herbs, and of course, God being the one who gives it all. You go to verse 12, there's a reference to God's sovereign control. What's, what's one of the things we can give thanks to God for? That whether life is good or life is hard, he's always in control. Well, what's it say there? God says, I will go through the land of Egypt. I will strike down the firstborn. I will execute judgments. Why? Because I am the Lord and I do what I say. I can be trusted and I'm faithful and I'm in control. Verse 13, the very next verse, there's a celebration or a commemoration of God's mercy. He said, I'm going to destroy Egypt, but Israel, if you'll obey me, here's what I'm going to do for you. The blood on your doorposts. When I see that blood, I will pass over you. I'll show you mercy. I will keep you safe in my hand. Verse 14 reminds us that he's a God of great joy because what does he do? Just what we've been talking about. He says, I want you to take this day and year after year, the word he uses is celebrate it. God wants us to celebrate and remember the great occasions in our lives, the, the, the times he blesses us in distinct and wonderful ways. There's an implication there of his faithfulness in verse 14 as well. Because what does he say? I want you to do this throughout your generations. He said, I'm going to give you year after year after year to do it again. Verse 25, there's a, a reminder that it's God who is the one who blesses us, gives us place to live, a place to call home. God says, I'm taking you out of Egypt, but verse 25, but you're going to enter a land. And I am the one who is giving it to you as, Moses said, he has promised. God gives us the places that we call home. Verse 26, he is, of course, the one who blesses us, many of us, with the gift of children. When your children say to you, there's going to be an opportunity to, to magnify and praise and exalt the Lord. Verse 29 is a reminder, again, he's a God who keeps his word, because in verse 29, he did exactly what he said. And he did it exactly the way he said he would do it. I know we didn't read verses 34 through 36, but there it, it spells out for us. There's a reminder as well that God is the God who provides us with whatever we need to accomplish and carry out whatever tasks or assignments he gives us. What do you see in those verses? Look at your Bible. It says the people, as they left, they took their kneading bowls and their clothes on their shoulders. And it says the sons of Israel, verse 35, did according to the word of Moses. For they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So that they let them have their request and they plundered the Egyptians. God gave them everything they needed for the journey ahead. And then at the very end of the chapter, again, we didn't read this one either, but in verse 48, there's one more beautiful thing. A reminder of the incredible grace of God. Verse 48 says this. 
God's been speaking to and dealing with his people, Israel, and he says this, but if a stranger sojourns or travels with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. In other words, go through the rite of joining my people. And then, isn't this beautiful? Let him come near to celebrate. And he shall be like a native of the land. What's that a reminder? That God's grace is for any and all who will believe. That he is a great and a mighty God. What's my point? Seeing that God wanted his people to sit down once a year, sit around a table, share a meal, talk about how great he is. Here's who God is and what he's done for me. Here's the way that God has blessed me with good things or blessed me by carrying me safely through bad things. Here's his provision. Here's his grace. Here's the story of my salvation. Essentially, Israel was commanded to do the same thing we're supposed to do on Thanksgiving as well. Remember the greatness of our God. Our meal as centerpiece of the holiday is meant to remind us of the great God we serve and the great things he's done. So what's the big idea? Well, tonight that's up to you. I don't have a big idea. This is where you come in. Because every year we do this, and we're going to sing, and in fact, guys, if you want to come back up and get ready for the next song, we're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come back up, and, and what we do, if you've not been with us on Thanksgiving Eve before, is there's a microphone down here, and you have the opportunity to come and sort of express your big idea, your note of praise about what God has done for you, the, the blessings you want to give him thanks for. I know not, everybody's, not everyone's comfortable with that. That's okay. You don't have to. But those who are, we encourage you to do it. There's great blessing and beauty. Again, we're not around a table. The meal is not here, unfortunately. But the body of Christ is. And the Holy Spirit is. And, and there's great encouragement that comes when we stand up and say, here's how God has been good to me. And, and the thought specifically, we'll just throw this on the screen and then we'll bring it back up when they come. And here's what I want you to be thinking as we sing this next song. Tonight I want to praise God because. You just think for the next few minutes as we sing, what do you want to praise God for? And if you want to do it silently in your heart, that's fine. But I'm going to come back up in a few minutes and give you an opportunity to talk to us about how God has been good to you. So let's sing and then we'll give him our praise. <laughs>